I went out walking through streets paved with gold Lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, -face. and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Heart of the Matter can be seen, of course, on television, also at www.hotm.tv, where you can go to our archives and watch any of our shows. There's over 250 archive there, as well as going on YouTube, and you can uh, just type in Heart of the Matter or Sean McCraney, or Mormonism, and something will probably pop up. There's 1,600 uh, YouTube clips uh, out there on different subjects, so you can check that out. Every Sunday, AM 820, The Truth Here in the Salt Lake Valley replaces, replays, excuse me, Heart of the Matter. Uh, AM 820 is a great Christian radio station here in Utah, run by a great brother, Russ East, and uh, check it out. Then uh, from 2.30 to 3.30 at the University of Utah, we have a never-denominational Bible study, and it's open to anybody, uh, LDS, Catholic, non-believer, uh, whatever you are, please come and uh, just sit, and we go verse by verse, talk about the Word. There's usually refreshments and a lot of great people there to converse with. And I'm sure there's somebody there who can share or relate to your personal story. You can go to calvarycampus.com for more information. Check out that new website as we're downloading all the past um, uh, teachings on there, as well as a number of other things. Uh, finally, when you have a question on Mormonism and you don't want to go to the uh, time to watch a video of ours, go to utlm.org. That's utahlighthouseministry.org. It is a, uh, they're the first in Utah to really lay all this stuff out. And what, what's good about UTLM is that it gives you uh, the correct material from the LDS church to prove the point. It's not just a bunch of uh, supposition, oh, they think this, it actually shows you what has been taught over the years, okay? Remember on Saturday night, April 9th, I'll be going to Evanston, Wyoming, and have the honor of speaking at the Calvary Fellowship out there, 6 p.m. Saturday night, April 9th. That's this coming Saturday. If you're out in that area, check it out. You can go to calvaryfellowshipevanston.com for more information, like their address. Uh, if you're in that area, we, and we're not going to film the show. Some people have written and said, are you filming Heart of the Matter out there in Evanston? We're not, but uh, still come and visit if you live around there. On the screen, you're going to see three products that Aletheia Ministries offers for your use. Hopefully, your enlightenment. Our girl video uh, is also available at Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake City. 
That's the first film of three. Uh, Cassidy uh, McCraney is the writer, director, editor, whatever, editor of the three-part series, and this is the first. The first one is Girl, and it talks about sexual relationships outside of marriage prior uh, to young girls. And it's excellent to show girls because it opens up discussion about the perils of opening your heart. Psalm says, hey, uh, Psalms of Proverbs says, guard your heart, girls, guard it. You know, those predatory wolf boys out there are trying to steal it from you. And so girl is all about the mistakes in, in, in God and uh, in this girl's life. And then boy is going to be about from the male perspective, teenage perspective of these relationships and what's... Uh, what drives boys and things like that and what tempts them, etc. And then we're going to have, she's, go, she's writing God, and that one is going to um, uh, enlighten everybody on the biblical perspective, on God's perspective of everything, nature and, and how he's there and what they should be doing and what, what is good and what is bad. So we think it's really good, but you can get girl right now and use it in your groups. Two of our books, I Was a Born Again Mormon, uh, is available at all Christian bookstores here in uh, Utah. You can also get it by going to hotm.tv. And then, if my kingdom was of this world, then my servants would fight. Uh, it's uh, thought-provoking for this day and age of what we ought to or con should consider doing uh, as uh, members of the body of Christ. But that's just for you you're, uh, to check out and see. All of them are available in these different uh, bookstores. Now, we got an email here, and it says, Sean, I listened to uh, Glenn Beck for a while this evening. He commented on the current President Obama's type of Christianity. And Beck pointed out that it isn't Christianity at all. And then he says, how would he know? I mean, why doesn't uh, anyone call him on his own brand of Christianity? So, and, and he goes on to ask questions. Now, we get a lot of things asking me, hey, Sean, why don't you like Glenn Beck? How can, what's your problem with Glenn Beck? I mean, he's so smart on Constitution, and, 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 and he does represent a lot of very good things, you know, relative to the country, I guess. So, how come you don't like him? Well, we're going to give you two video reasons tonight of why I don't like him. Here's the first one. Check this out. I'm going to try really hard to not show my emotion in this next few minutes. Once in a while, there, there's a person that comes along in your life that changes it, and they change it because they stand for something, they don't compromise. They believe in something better, and you see it. They are, in effect, your personal shining city on the hill. If you know anything about me or my history, you know that I spent a lot of my life as a, as a miserable and callous guy. I know, you're stunned. But longtime listeners of my show, if they're being honest, will tell you that they've seen a great change come over me uh, over the years. Some of them don't like it because I don't call people fatheads as much as I used to. Believe me, this is a calm version of Glenn Beck. I certainly had my moments where the old me shows up, but on balance, I'm a cuddly kitten in comparison to the old me. That is in large part due to one guy. When I want to call somebody a pinhead or a fathead, I uh, think of him and how he would handle the situation. Because I wanted to be more like him. He stood for something, elevated, something transcended. And <clears throat> you could just simplify what he believed in just by saying he believed in be kind to others, be a better person. I realize that I'm a long way away from that. I think almost everybody is. Last night, this gentleman 
Gordon B. Hinckley passed away. He was 97 years old. You probably don't even know who he is unless you share my faith. He was the head of my church. Obviously, he was an old man, 97. He lived a great life, most of which was just spent inspiring people to be better in a quiet way. As he grew older and he became sick, I knew that last night would eventually come. I wondered how I would react. Last night when I heard a soft knock on my bedroom door, it was my daughter Mary, she told me, the news that Gordon B. Hinckley had passed away. I surprised myself. I wasn't sad. It was a warm feeling. I just thought of a great man finally being reunited with his sweet, sweet wife. One day when I, it was actually the first time I met Larry King, he asked me, he said, Gordon B. Hinckley, one of the nicest men I've ever met. Amazing guy. Have you ever met him, Glenn? I told him no. He very nicely offered to introduce me to him, and I declined. I didn't want to feel like I was a fan going to meet a celebrity. But now I wish I would have taken, up, taken him up on that offer. Just so I could have shaken his hand and said, thank you. I didn't know the man, but I watched his example. Whether you're in my faith or another faith or no faith at all, we could learn a lot just by watching good examples from time to time. Now, to the unsuspecting public, you watch that and it seems very uh, genuine, and it could have been genuine on Glenn Beck's part, that he has such emotion and ties to a man he's never met, who they call the prophet, seer, and revelator, uh, the only one on the earth who can receive revelation from God for the church. But when he's describing Gordon B. Hinckley, he, uh, he describes him as if you were listening to a, a Christian describe Jesus. He says that uh, he thinks of him and what he would think of his actions, that uh, he wanted to be more like him, this hero worship of a man, just a man. He name drops, uh, naming Larry King, giving his stamp of approval on Gordon B. Hinckley as one of the nicest guys he's ever met. Of course, Larry King's married to an LDS woman, and uh, that doesn't sway the anything in any way there either. But see, the unsuspecting public doesn't know that. They're just enamored by this guy, and they listen to him, they watch the emotions, and they think, boy, his religion. Now, if you're not of my faith, or you're not of any faith at all, it's okay. My faith, I used to be this, I'm so much better now. My hero, he's dead. And so people who don't know, they say, well, what is your faith? Glenn Beck, Mormon, let, let's invite the missionaries over lies. And then pretty soon you have more people who are completely uh, deceived. And so that's really troubling. That's one reason I don't like him. The second reason is his choice of heroes. So that leads us to the next clip. Let's look at this. Until 1978, no person of color attained priesthood in your church. Yeah. Why it took so long time to overcome the racism? I don't know. I don't know. I can only say that. But it's, we're, we're, it's here now. We are carrying on a very substantial work in Africa, for instance. We're carrying on a very substantial work in Brazil. We're working among these people. We're developing them. Uh, we've had them among the leadership of the church. And they're able, they do a great work, and we love them and appreciate them. 
and respect them and are trying to help them. God says in his word, you know, when Jesus died on the cross, the gospel is open to all. It's a done deal. It's very male, female, bond free. The heathen who are out there and, and, the, and the respected of the world, it's for everybody. But now Gordon here on the, on the interview with him in 2002 with that German uh, interviewer tells us, uh, you know, he doesn't know why the black people couldn't have the priesthood, why they weren't entitled to eternal life by getting their endowments and stuff through the LDS. So he doesn't know. He knows exactly. The man was deceptive. In many things, he was deceptive. In his interviews with Mike Wallace, he was completely deceptive. Because on one hand, he goes and he gets on TV and he says, I don't know. Someone asked him in his interview, I think it was with Larry King, about becoming a god. And he says, oh, I don't know anything about, we don't know too much about that. Uh, less than a month later, he speaks to the LDS and he says, don't you worry, I understand our doctrine completely. And this is a hero of Glenn Beck's. I know you think, well, this is just not, it's something very important to our day and age. Christians, wake up. Look at this stuff. Okay? Twice a year, Aletheia Ministries is hit with a reoccurring cycle. It's called General Conference. And it, uh, what seems to happen is many LDS viewers who watch the show or have been watching the show and they're starting to get kind of interested in the things that we're presenting, they kind of will go to general conference and they'll watch it. And then we always get a few, sometimes five, ten emails, and they'll say, I just got finished watching general conference. And it was such an inspiring and beautiful representation. There was so much love there. And then I clicked on one of your shows and, you know, it was ridiculous. It's hokey. You're a jerk and all these things. And so I'm just going to go and stay with the church because it felt so wonderful. It was so spiritual about what was said. And um, then they'll come to the conclusion because of these feelings and the way things are presented, the church is true. Let me see if I can explain this, if I can. There was a movie a few years ago, and it was called Catch Me If You Can. And it was about a counterfeiter kid. Leonardo DiCaprio played him. And uh, his name was Frank, uh, Frank uh, Abag Abagnale. Frank Abagnale pretended to be a pilot. He pretended to be a lawyer and a doctor. And he fooled everybody in the 1950s. And what Abagnale used was ambiance and he used being suave, and he charmed people, and he gave gifts, and he was always in these finest uh, dinners and these restaurants, which were really beautiful. Now, on Abagnale's trail was Tom Hanks' character, an FBI agent. Now, this FBI agent had nothing. He had to wash his clothes in a laundromat out on the road. He drove an old car. He wore plain clothes. He didn't really have a life except to try to catch this con man, and, 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 and the FBI agent was very unassuming, and he he, you look at him and you think, what a joke. You know, Abagnale offers everything. It's so nice. It's so beautiful. And then you look at the FBI agent who was trying to pursue the truth and stop the con, and it's not very impressive. And there's a really good example for you to kind of see how it works. I mean, you can look at a multi-billion dollar religious corporation that airs its uh, general conferences two times a year, and they are practicing. They got those those screens up there where they read it and they turn and it's all, you know, just, it's perfectly said and written and they look so good. It's all pretense. And it's to make you feel good with the, with the ambiance and everything else. But the truth is the truth. 
Don't be misled and tricked by this stuff, okay? The second thing that we face when general conference rolls around is hypocrisy. Now, I was in Carl's Jr. on Sunday. I have no problem with my faith in Christ being in the Carl's Jr. on a Sunday. And I'm sitting there working. Now, the LDS, they teach you, you must obey the Sabbath day. You can't break the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day is holy. Of course, they've misappropriated it to Sunday. And then you, you can't go to stores on the Sabbath day. We have an ad right here, and it's from Lee's Marketplace, cut out of the paper. And it says, closed on Sunday. This is from a Utah paper. Closed on Sunday, and it says, supporting our community values. Okay, so we have local grocery stores promoting that they're closed on Sunday, and so Sunday is a big deal in, in Mormon faith. You don't break the Sabbath. Well, I'm sitting in there, and uh, suddenly we're inundated with people in suits and women in dresses and ties. And the Mormons General Conference let out their morning, morning session on Sunday, and they came into Carl's Jr. to eat. Now, anyone knows that's verboten. If you're a real LDS believer, you would never spend money or go into a restaurant on Sunday if you're at the top of the line, if you're down and you're not so strong. The other thing that was interesting about it is that there's another group that came into Carl's Jr., and I'll tell you about that in a minute, but I want to show you. I took my phone out, and I, and I started filming these people, which was really interesting. Take a look. That one guy at the end, he held up his quad. That's the Book of Mormon, Doctrine, Covenants, Pearl of Great Price, and Bible in one. He held up one in his tie, held it up to me. I started saying to them, hey, isn't it Sabbath day today? Some of them got, gathered their food when I started filming and went out to the takeout. And then there was a segment who came in only to use the bathroom. This was interesting. As they came in, they would walk through and look at their fellow brothers and sisters with complete disdain. Oh, Carl, ordering food? So it's really an interesting thing what the law does with people. You know, it makes you guilty of breaking it, which means you're guilty of breaking all of it, or it, it makes you feel superior because you haven't actually ordered in the restaurant that you just used their bathroom. I mean, it's, it's really what the, the Pharisees and Sadducees were under at the time of Christ. Amazing stuff. Hey, our ability to uh, stay in the public eye is directly tied to your uh, support. We hope you'll prayerfully consider the following message.
Tonight we continue our interview with John Delenn of mormonstories.org. Uh, there's one more after this, then we'll conclude it. So we're going to open up the phone lines and allow our operators to begin to talk to you and clear your calls, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. And now to John Delenn and mormonstories.org. We are not ready for John Dellen and Mormon stories, so let me read an email to you right now. Uh, this says, Sean, I have a question about rebirth. When my church experience happened, I literally felt the power of God move into me. I had been begging him to come into new life for over two years. For days, as I walked around singing to God, only interested in talking about Jesus, and would only listen to Christian music. I feel this warmth and power every time I think about it. I cry, almost cry. Then a week or two went by, and life kind of went back to normal. The first time I got uh, upset about something after my rebirth was very hard for me. Uh, it made me doubt if I was really saved. What does someone do with these setbacks? Is it normal? And I just want you to understand that a spiritual rebirth is a uh, unique and individual thing. But what it does do is the Holy Spirit, you say the Holy Spirit moved in and you felt new life. The Holy Spirit hasn't moved out. It might, it might sit back for a while and let you see, hey, you need to pursue. Maybe you need to get into the Word. I can tell you, I have this conversation with my daughter. If we lay out people and we look at their walk with Christ... If you want to see Christians who have matured from being that infant, it's Christians who study the Word of God. It's Christians who open that Bible and, and read that Bible and study that Bible and come and hear the Bible taught. So that is key to your spiritual growth, that you open the Bible and you go to a church that teaches the Bible and you hear it taught. Yes, the Holy Spirit moved into you, but now it's up to you to experience fruit-producing. And I don't mean it's up to you to generate the fruit. It's up to you to then open yourself to more growth. So you don't just want to have the Jesus experience. You want to have the Jesus experience and turn it into you becoming a fruit-bearing. And that's going to come through love and service and, and, and obedience to the things God wants you to do, which he lays out in his scripture, which is love and having faith and, and all the things that come along with that. So it's normative for people to have that radical change, and then, and then it ebbs and flows. And I think that's God's way of saying, hey, 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 you know, you're starting to get a little into the world. You're starting to do a little this. How about open up? Read the word, things like that. So don't ever let Satan believe. If you have believed in your heart, you confess truth through your mouth, Jesus is the Christ, you are saved. Now move forward in faith and let God do a work in you, which you were made to do, foreordained before the foundations to do good works, meaning to bring forth fruit of love. Okay, so we haven't prayed yet. Let me pray. That's why the things haven't been ready. Lord, we just come to you and we pray and ask you to uh, help um, the program tonight, help me hosting and help the technical stuff and people who are searching, Lord. Let them know the intents of our heart and that is to share you and bring you into their lives completely and fully outside and aside from religion. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we are going to go to it now. John Dellen and Mormon Stories. So, um, <clears throat> so it, it, it seems to me like what you're doing is you don't feel like you're in the position to know who has had that experience or no, not. Never. It may be that a lot more people than you think have had it. It sure. may be that a lot less. Sure. You're sort of there to challenge them to make sure that they have had it. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that, John, because 
my whole thing is to challenge and to get people to think and to just consider. And I do it through making them mad. I do it through, sometimes I'm mocking, sometimes with humor. I do it in any way possible to get them to think and just look and consider, have they been born again? It was an imperative to Jesus. It wasn't, I hope you do. You must. And so I think it's so important that that heart gets changed. And um, so I, everything I do is to try to get people to consider that. You know. How would a member of the LDS Church know if they were born again? Like, what if there's someone listening going, I'm not sure. I think I've been born again. I love Jesus. I accept him as my Savior. But I don't know if I've met the bar. How, 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 how do I know? Um, in the book of First John, we've got to go to the Bible. It says you can know. And that's the uh, gnosko of the Bible. And that means you really can. It's, it's the only time we, we hear about really knowing. And what it says is you know that you're, that you're saved. And to some Latter-day Saints, out of, a, out of a, a space of humility, I understand, say, well, that's really arrogant to say that. Because they're viewing it from their righteousness and works. But to a Christian, you can have the epistemological certainty that that truth has saved you. And... It transcends all religious barriers. I've met Messianic Jews. I've met people who came to know Jesus with no sinner's prayer, walking along a road and changed. I've met many of them because of the name of our ministry, Born Again. And so people call us and they write us about this. So you know. And um, I was going to... And, and, and it's just like a Latter-day Saint saying we know. But what you know is not that... it institution is true or that a man is a prophet you know you have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and you trust in that and that scripture says people can know and so that's my best explanation of it you can and this is the relief that comes when the people who come out of Mormonism have been under burden and they call or they write and they say I cannot believe how free I am, and how Jesus, and they become a Jesus freak, you know, that Jesus has saved me, and they're, they're rejoicing this way. And it's, 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 a, uh, it's an outward expression that is universal among anybody who's had it, regardless of their past or present position in religion. Okay? Um, and it comes by that acquiescence and admitting yourself a sinner and needing help. Right. Um... And you'll still have bad days, right? Can, a, can a, someone who's been saved get depressed and be manic depressive? Can they, you it, know? Such a good question. It is, it is a great question because within Mormonism, uh, I believe the system is set up for happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. If you love money and I give you a million, you're going to be happy. I take it away, you're not. And so their experience in life is very happy. And so you can't discount that. Jesus gave the opposite scenario of people who come to him. They say you're going to be persecuted. They say you're going to be tried. I find myself in more deep depression having become a Christian than I ever had as a Latter-day Saint or a wild man. Because in him, you are an alien in this world. And he, his spirit lives with you. And you don't have the ties to the things of the world. And so you become disaffected from the, the humanity. Hollywood takes on a different meaning. Movies, music, everything loses that value that was once so great to have, you know. I still like those things, but I don't live for them anymore. And that might be maturity, but it's maturity too in Christ. 
So that's how I would explain it, is that you, um, that's the best I could probably explain it. You'll still have down days. Always. You'll probably have more. Hmm. And, you know, and that's why the Jews didn't want Jesus to say, hey, we live under the law. We do something right, we're blessed. We do something wrong, we're cursed. You're saying, believe in you, and we're going to be tried and, 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 and suffer? Why would we do that? And it, it's true, you know? So, one more time, what could an LDS church member do to set themselves on the path of becoming born again from your perspective? Go to the Lord in the quiet of your room or your car, and you just you ask Him to take over your life to open your eyes, give you a new heart, and you're going to wait and trust him. And then wait. And every, start off every day and say, I'm in your hands. You show me. And no one else, you show me. And you see what he does. That is the challenge. And um, he'll, I believe he comes through on anyone who sincerely wants it. That's McCraney's promise. That's Mc, yeah, McCraney's Mar- promise. Instead of Moroni's promise. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. Let's do a little theology. Mm. Um... One of the biggest critiques against a belief in God is that he's a bastard. Mm. I, I don't mean that in a blasphemous way. Yeah. But you look at, like, you know, the, the theodicy, the problem of evil. All-powerful God, loving, all-loving God, who's righteous and good. Holocausts happen. Children get raped and killed. Wars, horrible, terrible, nasty things. Not just that. Think about how confusing it is for, for the average person in the world. I mean, forget Africa and all the, you know, all the starvation and poverty there and the suffering, people getting limbs chopped off, uh, you know, Bosnia, just everywhere. But just think about someone, a middle-class person in the U.S., maybe they're LDS, which church do I join? There's so many different options. Uh, the Bible is, you know, it may be clear for you, but you got to go to Bible school. For a lot of people, the Bible is just confusing. Mm -hmm. The Old Testament shows this God who's vindictive and petty Mm -hmm. and uh, malicious, Mm -hmm. who orders genocide. Mm -hmm. Some youth make fun of a prophet, and God orders a bear to go, you know, slice up the kids and kill them. Right. You know... For many Jews, God died in, you know, in, the, in the 1940s. Um, you talk about God with this gleam in your eye, like he's this wonderful, powerful, beautiful, loving person. Yeah. But many people just can't get themselves to even go there anymore. Mm-hmm. They feel betrayed by God. They, um, they see no proof for his existence. Mm. And, um, and they just see no compelling reason. Mm. Um. I would first say that the condition of this world from the genocides and all the pogroms and everything you described are not his. Uh, They are not his doing. They are our doing. So you're saying he's not all-powerful? I'm saying that he he, uh, does not do evil. But he allows it to happen. He he can't can't prevent it. He can. He can prevent it. But if he was really a bastard, he would be a despot. And he would force everybody to be good, but he loves freedom. So he gave choice, and men choose wrongly. Why couldn't he have created a better system? Well, I think it falls hand in hand with that, uh, that love for freedom. I mean, he, he has to operate off some type of um, balance between love, justice, freedom, 
um, creation. Did we exist before he created us? No. Like the LDS doctrine is we have spirits from before, right. uh, even intelligences before that. No. So, I mean, th there's a reason. I mean, there's, some, there's an appeal to that doctrine. Yeah, there is. It kind of gets you out of this little struggle that I'm putting yeah. you in. Yeah, Because if we have existed forever, yeah. then we bring that will with us, yeah. and it's not his fault. Right. He didn't create us. Right. You're saying he created us, yeah. and he created this world, and he created this plan. Yeah. I'm telling you, an all-powerful, all-loving God could have created a better system. That's, that's bold of you, John. I, I, I'm speaking on behalf of my listeners. Okay. I don't know anything. Okay. okay. Um, I believe he created, I believe God creates, and he loves, and he's a creator. And I believe freedom is everything. And he does not, that's why he put a tree in that garden. He said, you can have open fellowship with me, Adam, but if you don't want to choose to not do that, you, you, take that free, you take that tree and you cannot do that. And it brought in a horrible situation called sin and death. And it brought in disease. And it brought in children dying of disease and all that. These things are not of God. They never have been. But why couldn't he have made it so those things would have never even... Because then what would he have? He would have Adam and Eve loving him and responding to him with no choice. And we would live in this Edenic state. That's just a great thing without choice. That's not free. That's a despot. That's a guy who makes clay figures to worship him. That's not what this God is about. He's about love and living. And for every person who says, you gave me a bad deal down here, there's another person who received just as bad of a deal who says, I praise you. And, and there will be the difference. Um, I, don't, I know the world is a, is a terrible, horrible place, but I don't uh, assign the blame to him. I assign the blame to us. Now, here's the problem. We live in a very humanistic world. And everything, we are the center of the universe. And so we stop seeing who he is. And so we view everything from our perspective, the this, this suffering and, and, and the disease, and it is horrible. But we don't, uh, we don't understand his being. We think of him anthropomorphically. We think of him as a man. Not so. He's a consuming fire. And, and so when we look around at the suffering, we get mad at this God. But we don't know his holiness. We, we don't understand his love. And where we saw that love manifested was when he said, look it, this whole creation has fallen into a slump and it's dead. I'm going to come down myself and I'm going to die for it. So to me, that shows a loving God who gave himself to suffer and die for all these things. And then he says, look it, just come to me. It's really easy. And I'll give you this peace throughout this turmoil. I was in a turmoil, a place of turmoil. I was in a place where I thought, God, I was a nihilist. I didn't believe in him. You know, why would you give me these passions that I don't know how to control or anything else? Well, you know, then I saw that he gives you a solution, but you have to break to get to that solution. And, and somewhere, John, in the mix of justice, freedom, mercy, love, comes this world we have. And that's the best I can do. Do you, do you believe in a literal Satan? And yeah. followers of Satan that are like tempting, trying to like. Oh, like. Does evil come from Satan? Uh, and is e Satan's God creation? I think evil, uh, well, biblically, Satan uh, was an angel. And he, he fell because he saw he was beautiful and he wanted to become like God. And he was cast out. That's what hell was created for biblically, was Satan and his angels thrown down here. And uh, I believe that Satan does exist, yes, absolutely. As a spirit, as a force. Yeah, he's a spirit. He's a fallen angel. 
And angels are invisible, and he's a spiritual force, yeah. I don't believe he was a brother of Jesus. I believe Jesus has etern existed eternally, uh, and I believe he is God. I don't believe the brother thing, but he was a created being. The heavenly economy has angels created just like we have foxes and rabbits and bears and humans here. There's a heavenly creation too, and angels were them. So, yeah. Angels don't become men or no. exalted men? Total LDS thing. Total LDS thing. Okay. Um, and uh, Satan does have followers or doesn't? He has other angels, yeah. Absolutely. And they're, are they the reason why we sin? Are they a, a contributor to our sin? They can contribute, I suppose. I suppose our own fallen state does it. Temptations can do it. Satan can cause us. We can choose to ourselves to be evil. I don't know the answer to that. And God doesn't want to keep them from tempting us. Just use his power to cast them out and get rid of them. Well, remember, the fall was brought in through man. And Satan received the title deed to this world. He got Eve to eat of the fruit and give up the paradise. So Satan gets to rule. So God, God somehow in that justice and in the way the cards are dealt, Satan got a good hand for a, a, a couple thousand years. But, and, and he was able to get them to do something when God gave them the freedom to not. So he gets to rule and reign. Well, Jesus came and he got the title deed back. When Satan came to Jesus and said, hey, I'll give you all these things if you worship me, Jesus didn't say you don't have the right to do that. He just, he, just, he just quoted scripture, but he never countered Satan's uh, claims. Satan has, and Satan continues to have the claim on this world, you know? But the answer is in Jesus, who came and overcame what, what Satan brought. Is it, would it be fair to say that you can understand the types of questions I'm asking about the fairness of it all and about, sure. the, the om, omni, uh, about God's power, sure. but that maybe you just have a, a faith in God that it's all fair? Absolutely. So you're, yeah. you're kind of just, you're putting faith in that yeah. deal, acknowledging that it seems like some get a raw deal yeah. and that it doesn't seem all quite right to, to balance the all-powerful, all-living God with all the evil. And you're sure. just saying, I just have to trust God that... I'm absolutely saying that. And I, I inject every... You don't think it all makes sense? No, no. I, th I, I think there's a general model that, that helps me in my faith. And maybe I have sold out in parts of my faith in order to have that work. But I do believe, generally speaking, that those principles hold true. Uh, I may be proven wrong. What do you think about atheists like uh, Christopher Hitchens and, and Richard Dawkins and all those guys? Have you studied their works yeah. at all? And yeah, I, uh, those uh, guys... Do you ever uh, sympathize with their arguments? Do you ever... Oh. The, the thing, God saved, protect me from your followers. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you have sympathy for that phrase? Sure. Absolutely. You know, religion, organized religion uh, has done all, church history, Christian church history is a horrible, ugly mess. You know, we cannot look to men's institutions as evidence of God. We're just going to find evidence of Satan, you know. This is part, partly why you're not big on churches at all. Right, right. right. Christians included. Right. I, I am big on gathering together, but it's got to be really based not on the money and the buildings. and all, You know, I'm, I'm, I'm for gathering together. The Bible teaches that. But I'm not big on religion. You Corporations. Know? Yeah. But I understand where those atheists come from. I was one of them. This morning I was reading the atheist Bible. I read through it and, and understand much of their arguments. And they make a lot of sense. But uh, to me, you know, just give me give, give you a simple example. We can go out to a garden and we can get a watermelon. And we can get a cucumber and we can get a chicken. And we can uh, get seasons and herbs. And the foods around this world 
that in and of itself, the combinations, the flavors, the nutrients, all of that in and of itself makes me think Dawkins is an idiot. How could you believe that just in the realm of food, drink, wine, milk, orange juice, fruits, vegetables, animals, fish, that there is not a creator. So I find those men to be stupid, really, truly stupid. And I think my belief in the Bible says they know. And it says they all know. But there's something in them. It might be pride. It might be anger. It might be pain. It might be remorse. But there's something in them that says, screw you, God. And I think that that's what they, they thrive on and live by. Instead of looking at a baby being born and evidence in the cell of God, they look for all the mockery. You know? Now, I have a heart for people who come out of Mormonism who are atheists and agnostic. A great heart. Because they, they belong to the scorched earth of Mormonism, where it's all us or nothing. And then they walk around dead. And I was part of that. And I understand them. So Dawkins, I don't have the respect. I have as much respect for him as I do the 12. But for the, the other guys, I have a heart for. I, I don't totally want to challenge you on any of that. I, I, do okay. wanna, I do have a lot of listeners who are atheists or agnostics. And um, you made a comment at the very beginning of the show about how what would an atheist, what reason would an atheist have to be moral? Right. My experience is, is that um, so many of the atheists and agnostics that I know are deeply moral, mm. kind, mm. sincere, loving people mm -hmm. uh, who um, even recognize all the beauty in everything you've said. I mean, they, they feel like an evolved uh, existence has the same type of beauty and marvel that you describe. Mm. They just think it happened through whatever science, scientific natural means. But right. I, I, you know, I don't feel like it's constructive for me to argue with right, that about right. that. But I think my, my listeners would be angry, or my watchers would be angry if I didn't at least. Uh, are you okay with that? Or? I am fine, with, and I agree with you. I think there are many. What I meant by what would motivate them to be moral is... Um, uh, by what standard, and they can say their own morality, and then we get into complete uh, relativism. And that means David Koresh's morality is as good as theirs. So I just wonder what standard they base their morality on. And that's all I mean. Let's talk about science. How do you feel about science? It's great stuff. You like science? Yeah. You're cool with it? Sure. So, um, age of the earth? No idea. Billions? Could be. Not, not seven days or six-day day creation? Could be. Not a hill to die on. Don't care. Don't care about that. Um, a, a literal Adam and Eve corporeal existing. Sure. Pre-Adam and Eve cavemen. Adam and Eve were the cavemen. We picture them as this long, blonde-haired, beautiful stud guy and his wife walking around. I think they would probably look like cavemen. But... I mean, you'll find human-like beings in the fossil record 10, 50, 70, 80,000 years ago. Mm. I mean, before Adam and Eve could have, you know, uh, started. So yeah. how do you bridge evolution? Uh, evolution, yes or no? No. No evolution? No, I believe in evolution. Okay. But I believe in, uh, in uh, uh, microevolution, not macroevolution. I think I have those terms right. 
I, I don't believe, uh, I believe that God could have used evolution. I believe there's evolution in our lives. I see it. So I don't discount that. I just don't believe that we came from a pond of scum that was not created, struck by lightning, that was not created to create a little amoeba that grew into a man. I just don't believe that. So God is a prime creator. Sure, and Darwin said maybe, that. Maybe, right. Yeah. Maybe use evolution to, to advance the world. Maybe he does with animals. No, no problem. I, I, animals, no. I believe man is the only tripartite being created, Adam and Eve. Uh, animals are bipartite. They don't have a spirit. They have a soul. They have a body, but they don't have a spirit. So I think we were created in God's image. I hold to that model. I believe in Adam and Eve. Uh, how the specifics fall in place, I don't die on it. I'm not smart enough. I can't fathom what scientists say, and I can't fathom what the theologians say in response. So maybe those prehistoric man-like things were non-humans? Could have been. Maybe. Could or, have been. you know, the whole God evolved to this point where then he sent the spirits or whatever. Could have been. You're... I'm fine with any of it because, you know, the Bible gives us the first, I don't know how many hundred years in like the first 31 verses. It's not an exhaustive concordance on how things happen. Yeah. What about a global flood, literal global flood, water? Don't think it's uh, really necessary to believe it, no. Uh, I think there's evidence, uh, Haley's Bible commentary, for those Christians who are going to freak out at me saying that, and it's a very well-respected Bible commentary, it says no, it was local, it was geographic. So I uh, couldn't tell you. I know many people stand and die on those things. I don't. Jesus is the only thing I stand and die on, John. Okay. <clears throat> I want to come back a bit to your discussion about uh, saved by grace versus works. Yeah. Um, some people, well, first of all, I was struck by the clearness of the language in James. I'm just going to read it. What did the prophet, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Yeah. Um, I almost feel like it's a, it's, a, it's a red herring. I think that if you've been born again, you're going to have good works. Yeah. But you look at, uh, you know, if, if you've been saved, but then you murder people and you cheat on your wife and you die a horrible, wretched person, it's hard for me to, to say that, that that person in God's eyes is going to be equivalent to someone who was born again and lived as righteous and as good as a life as they, as they ever could have. They wouldn't be equivalent. So like Jerry Falwell, was he not... Saved? Don't know. Or, or Jim Baker, Jim and Tammy Baker? Don't know. We know they, we know they sin, yeah. But we all do. Yeah. So saved or not, you're still going to have sin. Theirs was more public, bigger, whatever. But remember, there is a, an element of uh, rewards. And the Christian uh, teaching on rewards is this. All your works that you do as a Christian are going to be placed on an altar. And they're going to be tried by fire. And those that remain that don't burn like hay, wood, and stubble. They're going to be the works you did out of the love of your heart. So um, the, the works that you do, if they're generated out of the love, those are going to be the rewards that you're based on. So when you say the murderer 
who dies who was a born-again Christian. I mean, the born-again Christian becomes a murderer versus the born-again Christian who does many wonderful things. The rewards are going to be far greater. In his house are many mansions. So I think there's going to be another side of the tracks in heaven probably. And um, so it does matter how you live. And it is indicative of your faith by how you work. It is solely indicative. But remember, James is talking about faith there. He's not talking about works. It's faith. Faith without works. Faith without works. So we know that we're talking about faith. And we're talking about what comes when you have faith. By the way, everything in James 1 and 2 is talking about what we say as Christians. James 2, which you just quoted for me, is couched in a discussion about treating people preferentially based on their money. And James says, you see someone walk in with a nice ring and dress nicely, and you treat them better, you don't have love for them. And so you can't treat them preferentially based on their appearance. You've got to love them all. I would suggest if you look at James contextually, chapter 1 and 2, you will find that you could translate that easily. Faith without love is dead. And those are the works we're called to do as Christians, to love. Faith without love, that is the work we are called to do. So the problem is religions, Mormons and others, will say faith without works. you got to go and do. And that's just not how it is. It's love. And the love produces the going and doing. That is, I believe, contextually, I can argue it. We won't go to the time now, but I think that's how it would work. My uh, apologies to Adam and Eve for calling them cave people. Um, I don't know that they were or not. Also, my apologies for not being uh, astute in terms of science. Um, I, I, it's just, I think the point is really, I'm not going to make an argument. There's people who are called to that. They have the intellect to do that. They're Christian apologists. They can argue world flood. They can argue geography. They can argue evolution. They can argue again. All of that stuff is for other people. I'm just saying for me, it's not something I die on. And, and, and so I hope I make that clear. We are going to go to uh, Crystal in Roy, Utah on line three. Crystal, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, hi. Hi, Crystal. I just have a question about the baby blessings. Yeah. By LDS. Yeah. I, ma I married into an LDS family, and they kind of pushed for our two children to have that blessing done. Yeah. And I've been told that that is the equivalent to baptizing as a Christian in the Mormon church. Uh, no, that's not true. Okay. No. No, it's a, it's a priesthood blessing, and so people get a little hinked up on that because there is no priesthood but Christ in the Bible. But uh, they, So they do it in the name of the priesthood which they hold. But uh, baptism is baptism of water, and it is all it is is a blessing. It has no, it's not a, a, a uh, demanded ordinance of the LDS. It's more like a tradition that they do. They bless the baby, and uh, it has nothing to do with them becoming a member of the church, being born again, or being baptized in any way. Okay, so just because they did that does not mean that they're going to be put into the church in any no, way. No, it's, it's the baptism by water that will do that. Okay, perfect. Okay? Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. We're going to Lynn and Bountiful. Lynn, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi. Hey, Sean. I wanted to say how touching it is to see your ministry and all of the people that are coming to Christ through your ministry and through your heart. And it is just wonderful to see. And I want you to know there are so many of us praying for you guys. Thanks. 
Thank you, Len. It's, it's, it's a blessing to be a part, and I'm just a part, and everybody in here plays just an important part, and I'm not just saying that, you know, I, it's so true. Uh, and so your prayers are as integral as what I do. All of us are part of the body of Christ. And so I appreciate the call and, and just keep praying for the state to catch on fire and that the Latter-day Saints, the scales will fall and that church will fall to its doctrinal knees. I hear you, my brother. Um, I've been in Utah for a long time. And I know that people who really love the Lord, um, they usually eventually come out of that yeah. at a cult. Um, into that freedom and joy in Christ. Amen. I have a question for you. Yes. Um, I felt moved to ask you. Do you believe that there's no accident that you lived your life the way that you did so that when the time came that the Lord called your heart to Him, that you would minister to those who've lived a life as you have to help them out. I, uh, I, I, I defer to Jesus' words about Judas where he said, uh, these things will certainly come, but woe be to them by which they came. So I, I think that God is not the author of my uh, failures in my flesh, but he certainly has always been calling to me to use me and him having a, uh, a perspective that's outside of space and time could see how it would all play out. And he patiently allowed me to come through the trials and difficulties to prepare me. And I believe he does that for every single person. He is allowing them to get to the point. And, uh, and so in some ways I agree with that and in some ways I don't. Well, for example, with my life, when the Lord started calling me into his truth, Mm -hmm. I, um, I surrendered to him. I went through massive changes. I had beautiful, incredible awakenings when I was reborn. Mm -hmm. And at one point, I felt heartbroken because I looked at my past and wondered if it was all worthless. Mm. And I had a dream that night that I was answered, and I was told that it was not, that it was, so that I could help others through those same trials, mm -hmm. um, that it happened and there was no accident that I was awakened in the, or called in the timing that I was. And it's been a few years since then, and I've seen it witnessed endlessly that it's those people who've lived through what I have and are going through those same trials that he uses me to help. And I would agree with that, Lynn. I think that God allows us to go through all that, and he uses it, true. My only thing, and my only exception is God does not want us to go down uh, avenues. He allows us to go down bad avenues. For instance, I can relate with guys who like to fight uh, because I grew up liking to fight. Uh, but it doesn't mean God wanted me to fight. He knew I would. And so he's letting that be used now for his glory. But I don't consider him the author. And so it's kind of a mix between free will and his uh, using the fallen world to bring about the things that he wants done. I see what you mean in that, in that to sin is not good. Right. For those who love him, he'll bring good out of it. Absolutely. Way to summarize that. Thank you so much for the call. Hey, we love you guys. We're praying for you. Thanks so much. God bless. God bless. Bye-bye. We have an apostle who's LDS. He's a self-appointed apostle, 
writes, Mr. McCraney, since you have chosen darkness rather than light, you are free to fill up the golden cup of your iniquity. I, therefore, by the power and authority of the apostleship I hold, sever you from the ordinances of the house of God and deliver you over to the buffetings of Satan until you come forth at the last day in the name of the Messiah. I abandon you to your fate at your request. Thank you very much for doing that. <laughs> Thank you for releasing me from the house of whatever you said. Uh, somebody here, right, when Jesus called people hypocrites, what does he mean? Uh, the word hypocrite is a Greek word, and that's the word they used, and it comes from the place where you have one guy, and he holds the mask up that's frowning. and says, I hate my life. I can't stand you. Na, 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 na. He puts the same mask down. He goes down to the other side. He puts on the mask. It's smiling. I love life. And it's, it's speaking from both sides of your mouth, really. And he was saying they would do one thing, but on the other, they would profess to love God. But on the other hand, they showed that they didn't have any care for God at all. And so they were hypocrites. They, they had the face of a frowning man and the same person would use the face of a smiling man on the very same stage of life. And I think that's probably what he means. And you know, we all have a certain amount of hypocrisy in us. Uh, I have hypocrisy in me. And it is only by the grace of God I was able to see that, you know, that's something that he needs to ferret out of me by virtue of his Holy Spirit and my submitting to his Holy Spirit to do the work that it yearns to do in my life. There are times when I start to say, I know better than the Holy Spirit. I'm smarter than the Holy Spirit. I have better ideas of what to do with things than the Holy Spirit. And guess what happens? I stop bearing fruit and I'm, I, I kind of fall out of God's will. So it's a constant state of submission to the Holy Spirit over your will, to God over yourself. Uh, we have, what do you think about the woman teacher who just got 30 years in prison for having sexual relationships with a 14-year-old boy when polygamists have done it for years with young girls? I think that two wrongs don't make a right. I think that we have laws of the land to protect our young. I think if I had a son who was 14 years old and his teacher did that with him, I would want uh, her to go away for 30 years too. Uh, but so it's not like a, well, look at this. That shouldn't happen because they do this with the, poly the polygamous stuff is terrible, heinous and ugly. And so is the, uh, the act that the teacher did with the, the boy. So, you know, we live in a fallen world like we were talking about with John, but God is calling to everybody. He's calling to you. And he is saying, I am showing you there is problems with this faith you've embraced. I'm showing you there's problems with your sinful life. I'm showing you that I'm calling to you. And you have the choice whether to receive his call or not. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. I'm going to break. I'm going to break my. I'm going to break my rusty cage and run I'm going to break I'm going to break my Going to break my rusty cage and run I'm going to break I'm going to break my Going to break my rusty cage and run I'm going to break I'm going to break my Break my rusty cage.